Well, good morning. Good to be with you all today. Um, if you have your Bible, you can open up to Psalm 18. Psalm 18 is where we're going to be this morning as we continue through the book of Psalms this summer. And I'm not going to do much in, in way of introduction this morning because I really want to get to reading the psalm. Uh, but I will say a little bit. This psalm is unique because it appears in full, not once, but twice in Scripture. Uh, it, it, it appears here, obviously, in, in Psalm 18, but we also see it almost word for word in 2 Samuel 22, towards the end of David's life. After this, this large story of David and all that he's faced and all that he's lived through, uh, this song is the song that arises. 2 Samuel 22. It functions as a sort of anthem for David's life as he praises God for saving him from all of his battles that he has, has fought and, and from delivering him through all the times he's been on the run. And, and also, it's a long psalm. It, it clocks in at 50 verses. It's one of the longest in the book. But we are going to read the whole thing this morning um, because it, it's long, but it is epic. Uh, and so buckle up. Here we go. All right. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to, there's a lot to chew on, but, but let's, let's hear this. Psalm 18. Hear the word of the Lord. I love you, Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I called to the Lord who is worthy of praise, and I have been saved from my enemies. Sound familiar? We just sing that. The cords of death entangled me. The torrents of destruction overwhelmed me. The cords of the grave coiled around me. The snares of death confronted me. And in my distress, I called to the Lord. I cried to my God from help. From his temple, he heard my voice. My cry came before him into his ears. And the earth trembled and quaked. And the foundations of the mountains shook. They trembled because he was angry. Smoke rose from his nostrils. Consuming fire came from his mouth. Burning coals blazed out of it. He parted the heavens and came down. Dark clouds were under his feet. He mounted the cherubim and flew. He soared on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his covering, his canopy around him. The dark rain clouds of the sky. Out of the brightness of his presence, clouds advanced with hailstones and bolts of lightning. The Lord thundered from heaven. The voice of the Most High resounded. He shot his arrows and scattered the enemy. With great bolts of lightning, he routed them. The valleys of the sea were exposed, and the foundations of the earth laid bare. At your rebuke, Lord, at the blast of breath from your nostrils. He reached down from on high and took hold of me. 
He drew me out of deep waters. He rescued me from my powerful enemy, from my foes who were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my disaster, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. The Lord has dealt with me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands. He has rewarded me, for I have kept the ways of the Lord. I'm not guilty of turning from my God. All his laws are before me. I've not turned away from his decrees. I've been blameless before him and have kept myself from sin. The Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands in his sight. To the faithful, you show yourself faithful. To the blameless, you show yourself blameless. To the pure, you show yourself pure. But to the devious, you show yourself shrewd. You save the humble, but bring low those whose eyes are haughty. You, Lord, keep my lamp burning. My God turns my darkness into light. With your help, I can advance against a troop. With my God, I can scale a wall. As for God, his way is perfect. The Lord's word is flawless. He shields all who take refuge in him. For who is God beside the Lord? And who is the rock except our God? It is God who arms me with strength and keeps my way secure. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He causes me to stand on the heights. He trains my hands for battle. My arms can bend a bow of bronze. You make your saving help my shield. And your right hand sustains me. Your help has made me great. You provide a broad path for my feet so that my ankles do not give way. I pursued my enemies and overtook them. I did not turn back till they were destroyed. I crushed them so they could not rise. They fell beneath my feet. You armed me with strength for battle. You humbled my adversaries before me. You made my enemies turn their backs in flight, and I destroyed my foes. They cried for help, but there was no one to save them. To the Lord, but he did not answer. I beat them as fine as windblown dust. I trampled them like mud in the streets. You have delivered me from the attacks of the people. You have made me the head of nations. People I did not know now serve me. Foreigners cower before me. As soon as they hear of me, they obey me. They all lose heart. They come trembling from their strongholds. And the Lord lives. Praise be to my rock. Exalted be God, my Savior. He is the God who avenges me, who subdues nations under me, who saves me from my enemies. You exalted me above my foes. From a violent man, you rescued me. Therefore, I will praise you, Lord, among the nations. I will sing the praises of your name. He gives his king great victories. He shows unfailing love to his anointed, to David 
and to his descendants forever. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let's pray. Oh Lord, I thank you for the gift of the Psalms, for the gift of this great song that calls us to reflect on who you are and to rest in the gift of salvation. God, as we consider your word together this morning, I pray that you would sharpen our minds and soften our hearts, that we might know you and love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so this is a long psalm, right? There is so much in here to dig into, to chew on, to unpack, and we are not going to be able to cover the whole thing today. We would be here for hours, and I don't think any of you want that. So what I want to do this morning is start at the beginning and then reflect on just a couple of big pictures that we see in this psalm, a, a couple of movements of salvation that we see here. So I'll explain more of what I mean by that as we go along. But first, we just have to start at the beginning. Because I think the first two verses of this psalm are probably the most important. They set the tone for everything that follows, and they give us an immensity of insight in how we are to think about God. How we are to think about God. Now, the term that we usually think of when we describe thinking about God is theology, right? I mean, theology is this study of God, sort of the, the discipline of, of studying and, and, and seeking God, theology. Typically in a Western setting, when we begin studying things, we start by defining them, right? I mean, this is true of any subject. You know, when you study, the very first thing you do is you try to get a good definition. Uh, uh, and, and so traditionally in theology, you begin by defining God. And you come with, you know, you come into terms like infinite, immutable, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, right? So many omnis, right? But, but on and on it goes. I mean, so God is infinite. He's unchanging, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present. Uh, all of these things we usually begin with as we define God. We usually begin, anytime we study something, with a good objective definition. But this is not at all how Scripture begins to introduce us to thinking about God. You see, what we see in verses 1 and 2 of the psalm are not objective definitions, but rather a personal description there are no abstract, abstract omnis in these verses, but rather powerful pictures. The Lord is my rock, my fortress and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge. My shield, the horn of my salvation, my stronghold, right? Just image after image after image. Every single one of these images invites deeper contemplation, deeper reflection, right? You could spend a whole day 
pondering each one of these. God, my rock, right? What, is, what does that mean? You sort of imagine that, place yourself, you know, in that. We've, we've got plenty of epic rocks and, and mountains and things. You can imagine that, right? Um, God is my fortress, right? You can imagine being in a secure and safe place. God is my shield, right? You can, you can imagine that, right? All of these invite deeper reflection and contemplation. In fact, these first uh, couple verses have seven images. And so maybe that's what you do this week, right? Take one image a day. Just enter into this. Reflect on this. Psalm 18, verse 2. You could spend a whole week in just this verse, See, this, this imagery, right, all of this imagery is, I think, one, one of the reasons why we often here try to incorporate creative reflection into the life of our church, right? I mean, just think about last winter, we had that Advent wall out there, or this spring, we had the Lent collages that we were doing together over Zoom, or, uh, you know, a year ago, we had the origami prayers that we started putting together and hanging up. Uh, that was right when we hit, headed into the pandemic. Or, you know, we can think back a, a little bit farther, and there's that coffee shop night. If you were there, maybe you remember that. All of these ways of experiencing God, not just through words, but through art, creativity, and beauty. It's so important. Because you see, God is not merely an idea that we define. God is not merely uh, some idea that we talk about and discuss in study groups. God is far bigger than that. So we use art and imagery. We use music and poetry, all kinds of creative means to reflect on the greatness of God. And, and don't hear me wrong, discussion and study is good. I mean, I, I love a good discussion. I love some, some deep, you know, digging in and, and studying of stuff. But that's only part of, of who we are, right? Discussion and study are good. God's given us minds, but that's only part of us. So as we reflect on God, we do so not only with our heads, but also our hearts and our hands. Not just with objective definitions, but personal descriptions. It's what we see here in this psalm. And, and that's another important part of this, right? Notice that these verses are not only a lot of creative descriptions and depictions of God, but they are personal descriptions of God. Right? God is not only a rock, He's my rock. God is not only a fortress, he is my fortress. God is not only a shield, he is my shield. On and on it goes. You see, abstract definitions are a good exercise in logic, but they don't really ask anything of us. Ideas don't really ask anything of us. James chapter 2 verse 19 puts it this way. You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that, and they shudder. 
You see, demons know that God is infinite and omniscient and omnipresent, and demons know all the omnis about God. They know that. But what demon could ever say, the Lord is my rock? What demon could ever say, the Lord is my fortress, my shield? Right? They can't. They can't say something like that because these images are not just statements of fact. They're statements of faith. These images actually ask something of us. They call us to enter into them, to actually trust that God will protect us and hold us and keep us safe. So this is how Scripture teaches us to do theology, right? To, to study God, not just abstract definitions, but colorful descriptions. Not impersonal facts, but personal faith. Theology begins in the same place that this psalm begins. I love you, O Lord, my strength. If we are to rightly think about God, we must begin with a deep love of who God is and a reliance on him who gives us strength. And so several of these images pop up throughout the rest of the psalm, right? Rock shows up again in verses 31 and 46. But another important word here in the opening shows up again later in the psalm, and really, I think, is the theme of the entire psalm. It's this phrase, the horn of my salvation. That word salvation, right? It, it, that same word appears again in verse 35, where it's translated saving help. God is my saving help. Uh, it might be translated otherwise in, in different translations. And then again in verse 46, where it describes God as Savior or the God of my salvation. The image that we have here in verse 2 is the sound of a trumpet declaring victory from a battle, right? The horn of salvation, it's this, this trumpet declaring victory. It's this horn that announces the good news that the enemy has been defeated. That's what the horn of salvation is. Salvation in Scripture is not ultimately about some eternal spiritual state. When we read the word salvation, it's referring to victory over enemies. Victory over the enemies, namely the enemies of death and destruction, which the psalm gets into in the next section. And so this theme of salvation is what I want to consider with the rest of our time looking at this psalm. The theme of salvation, because this psalm gives us some incredible images of salvation, and I think it invites us into a bigger picture of what salvation is. And so, let's keep going, all right? The next section of the psalm, verses 4 through 19, are this long uh, movement with vivid imagery, really intense, vivid imagery, right? First, you have this description, the cords of death, the torrents of destruction, 
right? Like someone who is bound up, gasping for breath as water rushes over them, right? And time is running out. And then after this uh, distressing image comes the epic description of God's arrival. It's like an earthquake, volcano, hurricane, and thunderstorm all rolled into one. This is God's arrival, right? It's, it's, it's Mount Rainier going off and a hurricane hitting us all at once. Uh, just imagine the, the, the craziness of that. The whole earth is, is shaking. And as I thought about the psalm, this image of, of the cords of death entangling and, and God rushing to the rescue, there is a movie that came to my mind. I want to play a clip for you. Take a look. Karate Kid, right? Anybody seen this? Back in the 80s, good, good, great movie. You could hardly have a better illustration. The cords of death entangled me. The torrents of destruction overwhelmed me. The cords of the grave coiled around me, right? Daniel, the, the, the kid, is literally being chased by skeletons, right? By death itself. It's chasing him down, seeking to destroy him. And they try to do their worst. But then, Mr. Miyagi shows up and single-handedly takes them out. 
And then I, I love the end of that scene. He tenderly reaches down and lifts him up and carries him to safety. And this is exactly what we see in Psalm 18. David is surrounded by death and destruction on all sides, and he calls out to God, and God rescues him. And he, he lifts him up, right? Throughout these verses, there, there are so many inferences to the creation story. I, I, I love it. I, I'll just share a few of them. Remember, creation begins with the earth, formless and empty, formless and void, with darkness over the surface of the deep, right? These deep waters. It's this picture of chaotic, churning waters, which is very similar to verse 4 in our psalm, the torrents of destruction, right? Torrents are these, you know, waves of water that are coming and washing over these chaotic waters. And from the chaotic waters of creation, God speaks and he creates, right? And, and let me just try to paint some parallels. In the creation story, he separates darkness and light, kind of like in this psalm, there's the darkness and the light of verses 11 and 12. In creation, he separates the waters above and the waters below. Just like in the psalm, he parts the heavens and rides on the wind of the, the, uh, the wings of the wind in verses 9 and 10. And then in the creation story, he separates the water from the dry ground. And just like in the psalm, he exposes the valleys of the sea and the foundations of the earth in verse 15. There are all these parallels between the creation story and God's arrival to rescue David. Salvation here is depicted as a divine act of creation. God, in the work of salvation, brings the world from a state of chaos and disorder to one where God can look and say, it is good. It is very good. But the parallels don't stop there, right? If you keep reading the creation story in Genesis 2, uh, creation is depicted not only as a powerful act of proclamation, but also a personal act of formation. Remember, God reaches down and forms humanity out of the dirt, out of the dust of the earth. And this is what we see in this psalm in verse 16. There's this very fast shift from epic and powerful to tender and personal. Just like Mr. Miyagi, it says, God reached down from on high and took hold of me. He drew me out of deep waters. He rescued me from my powerful enemy, from my foes who were too strong for me. So this is one image of salvation that we see in this psalm. Salvation is God coming to rescue us when we were lost, to uh, rescue us when we were trapped and doomed to destruction. Salvation is God reaching down and lifting you out of destruction and despair. God lifting us out of sin and shame. Just like that scene that we watched, it's God defeating the enemy and rescuing us, carrying us into a spacious 
place, it says in verse 19. But the psalm doesn't end here, right? There's quite a bit more. Uh, and Karate Kid doesn't end there either, right? I mean, if you've seen the movie, which a number of you have, you know what happens from there. Mr. Miyagi goes on to train Daniel. Remember? Wax on, wax off, sand the floor. You know, uh, this whole training sequence that happens. And over the course of the movie, Mr. Miyagi trains Daniel to fight and overcome his enemies. And this is exactly what we see in this psalm, the, pro the progression that we see in this psalm. Jump down to verse 32. And David says, It is God who arms me with strength and keeps my way secure. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He causes me to stand on the heights. He trains my hands for battle. My arms can bend a bow of bronze. You make your saving help my shield, and your right hand sustains me. Your help has made me great. You see, there's that word salvation again, saving help. It's the same word that we saw earlier, the horn of salvation. You see, this is another picture of salvation that we see in this psalm. God rescues us. And, and that's often where our understanding of salvation ends, right? We've been saved. We've been rescued. But throughout the Bible, this is only the beginning of salvation, right? God created the heavens and the earth so that there would be life. God called Abraham so that he would become a blessing to all nations, God saves Israel from Egypt so that he could lead them to the promised land and they can continue that blessing to all nations. God came as Jesus to rescue us so that we could join him in the work of his kingdom. Rescue is only the beginning of salvation. But once we've been rescued, well, then God begins training and transforming us. And this is so important. Right? Look back again at verse 32. You see, God rescues us when we're weak, but also he makes us strong. Right? It is God who arms me with strength. Or to go on, sometimes God reaches down and lifts us up from impossible terrain, but other times God gives us feet like a deer so that we're able to walk on that terrain that felt impossible. Sometimes he doesn't pull us away from what's hard. He equips us to endure what's hard. Sometimes he defeats our enemies for us, but other times he trains our hands for battle. You see, this is what salvation is for. God does rescue us, but he doesn't rescue us so that we'll become passive recipients of salvation, but rather so that we will actively join him in bringing salvation 
to the earth. God does not rescue us from the world. He rescues us for the world. This is what Jesus meant when he said, you are the salt of the earth. That's what he meant when he said, you are the light of the world. Salvation is not something that we're just waiting around to experience someday. Rather, it is something that we have been called to participate in now. And this is the good news, right? It's not only that God has rescued us from sin, but also that he is training us in righteousness, inviting us to bring that kingdom here. And this transforms our expectations, right? When, when we encounter challenges, we can pray to be rescued from them, but we may also pray for strength to endure them. When we encounter temptation and sin, we can pray for grace and forgiveness when we have fallen, but we can also pray for strength to resist temptation, deliver me from evil, right? When we see our neighbors in need, we can pray for God to take care of them, but we can also pray with our hands and our feet as we go and serve them. This is what salvation looks like. And so salvation is God rescuing us. And salvation is God training us to join him in all that he is doing in the world. But perhaps the most important thing about salvation is this. You see, this word salvation that we've continued coming back to, again, we've seen it in verse 2 and verse 35. The Hebrew word is yesa, which is where we get the name Jesus. Jesus' name is salvation. His name in Hebrew is Yeshua, yesa. The name of Jesus is salvation. Jesus is salvation. Jesus is the horn of salvation. He is the one who comes declaring the kingdom of God is near. He is the one who pronounces victory. He is the one in whom we find our victory. You see, Jesus faced the cords of death, destruction, and the grave, and he defeated them. He has filled us with his spirit so that we can be renewed and transformed and join him in his kingdom. And so as we go from here today, the invitation is this. Reflect on all these many images of God and enter into them. Reflect on and receive the rescuing work of God, but also enter that rescuing work as we proclaim salvation across all the earth. May it be so. Amen.